This is Matt. I'm the lead pastor at Westminster Baptist Church. Thanks for engaging God's word with us. My prayer for you is that this would be supplemental to your discipleship journey. Uh, If we can connect you with a local church or discipleship group, uh, please contact us at info at discoverwbc.com.
And God, you have never left us behind. Lord, we just lift up this time. We lift up our praise to you, God. And as Nick comes now to bring us the word, Lord, we just lift it up, God. May it be glorifying and honoring to you the words he speaks. Let him be a vessel that you use right now, God. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Um, it is an honor to be up here again today. If you don't know me, my name's Nick. I was a pastoral intern here previously this year, and uh, I'm just helping out today since uh, Pastor Matt and Pastor Glenn are both out this week, uh, and maybe keeping an eye on Pastor Bill a little bit. Um, so we're going to be taking a detour from our What Would Jesus Do series, and uh, we're going to look at Psalm 19 today. Uh, it's my favorite psalm, and uh, it contains one of the first verses I ever memorized as a new believer. And um, I think that it actually speaks into uh, sort of the parts of uh, the journey that God had me on when he was bringing me uh, to himself. And uh, you see, I was very interested in science growing up, and um, especially in high school and early college, I got uh, fascinated with space, learning about astrophysics and all this stuff. But what I was confronted with was this perception that somehow science and faith in God are at odds with each other. And so I started to have some doubts and some questions like, okay, well, does God really exist? Are there any good reasons to think he exists? And if he does exist, then which one is he, right? There's a lot of uh, world religions uh, that we have that say a bunch of different things about God, who he is, how many there are, uh, that sort of thing. And over uh, the course of many years, I uh, became convinced that uh, Christianity is true and um, that Jesus Christ is the embodiment of truth. And see, that's what I wanted to believe was what was true. That's what I was looking for. And God led me to find that truth in Jesus himself. And so this psalm uh, talks about what theologians call general revelation and special revelation. General revelation being how God has revealed himself in a general sense, in a broad sense to everyone. And special revelation, how he has uh, revealed himself in a more intimate way to a specific group of people, namely the Jews. And so the, uh, David in this psalm talks about how God's revealed himself in creation and how he's revealed himself through scripture. And so the main point that I want to make today is that God has sufficiently revealed himself through creation and through scripture to point us to life in Christ. God has sufficiently revealed himself through creation and through scripture to point us to a life in Christ. So if you turn with me, please, to uh, Psalm 19, we'll start in verse 1. For the choir director, a psalm of David, the heavens declare the glory of God and the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour out speech. Night after night, they communicate knowledge. There is no speech, there are no words, their voice is not heard. Their message has gone out to the whole earth and their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming from his home. It rejoices like an athlete running a course. And it rises from one end of the heavens and circles to their other end. Nothing is hidden from its heat. So we see here that David is looking up to the heavens. He's looking up to the sky, to the stars, and he's saying that the heavens are declaring the glory of God, right? Um, it's, it's 
it has this, it's communicating this message to us, uh, but without using words, right? It's saying that God exists and he is glorious, but not in words. It, we see it through the attributes of nature and the beauty of what we're uh, looking at and the elements of design. All of these things are communicating that God exists and that he is glorious. One way uh, that I think about often of um, how the universe reveals that God is glorious is if you think of how large the universe is, right? It's, it's almost incomprehensible how big it is and what kind of being would have to exist to create all of that. There's an estimated 200 billion trillion stars in the universe. That's 200 billion trillions. That's a lot of stars, right? And so what kind of being, how powerful would God have to be to create a universe that expansive, right? All powerful and glorious, right? So this leads us to believe that God is glorious and that's uh, how we see creation. It's communicating that message. But are there any good reasons to actually believe that God created the universe, right? Or are we kind of making this up? I think that um, this... uh, is reference to the question I had, what I was confronted with, is science somehow disproving uh, uh, God's existence or something like that. I think actually that the more we learn about science, the more evidence we have for God's existence, not the other way around. It does this in uh, many ways, but one example is called the fine-tuning of the universe. That is that the universe seems to be finely tuned to allow for our existence and for life's existence in general. Some examples of fine-tuning where we find this are in the fundamental forces and the constants of the universe, like the uh, expansion rate of the universe. And even on our own planet, the size and the makeup of Earth, the distance the Earth is from the sun, the size and the makeup and the type of star that the sun is, all of these things and many more, if they were changed just slightly, uh, life couldn't exist in the universe and we couldn't exist on this planet. And I'm not smart enough to really go into a whole lot of detail on this, nor do we have enough time, but um, I have some quotes here uh, from guys who are way smarter than me. Uh, The first one is from Freeman Dyson. He was a uh, Princeton physicist, and he was an agnostic. He says that the more I examine the universe and the details of its architecture, the more evidence I find that the universe in some sense must have known we were coming. So he's saying the more he learns about the universe, how it's set up, its attributes, it looks like it knew we were coming, right? He's, he's saying that it doesn't look like an accident or a random occurrence, right? It seems to be made for us. And he's an agnostic. The next quote I have is from Stephen Hawking, whom we all probably have heard about, one of the uh, most influential scientists in our generation. He said, in reference to the constants of the universe, the remarkable fact is that the values of these numbers seem to have been very finely adjusted to make possible the development of life. So he's saying that the values are so precise that it seems like they were adjusted to allow for life to exist, right? Meaning, and he, Stephen Hawking was an atheist. But he's saying that there's elements of design, there's elements that this universe was set up and created to allow for us to exist. In other sense, it's finely tuned for us. So I believe that there's sufficient evidence in nature 
through scientific discovery that points to the existence of God. And it's something that's revealed to everyone, right? We see it all around us. That's why in verse 6, David says, uh, he kind of likens this to the, uh, how the sun circles around the earth and nothing is hidden from its heat. In the same way that the sun illuminates the whole earth, the whole surface, nothing is hidden from its heat. So it is that this message of God's glory that's communicated through the uh, creation goes out to everyone. Everyone hears it. It's all around us at all times. This is why in uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 20, Paul says, For his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. He's saying that the attributes of God, his eternal power, his divine nature, his glory, right, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world. And how do we see it? How do we understand it? It's through what he has made. He's saying the same thing David is saying here. Creation declares the glory of God. And Paul even goes so far as to say we are without excuse. Because everyone, in, remember general revelation, everyone hears this message. And uh, earlier in Romans, Paul says that we actually suppress this truth with our, by our sin But even though we suppress the truth, it doesn't mean it's not there, right? It just means that we're not looking. So I say all this to just say, don't miss the creator when you're looking at the creation, right? Give God the credit, give God the glory, because his glory and his existence is being revealed through what he has made. Now next, David uh, makes an abrupt shift to talk about special revelation, specifically the scriptures, how God has intimately uh, revealed more of himself to us. So in verse 7, he says, The instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. The fear of the Lord is pure and enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. They are more desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold, and sweeter than honey dripping from a honeycomb. In addition, your servant is warned by them, and in keeping them, there is an abundant reward. So David uses uh, six terms all in reference to God's word, to the scriptures. And he describes them as perfect and trustworthy and right and radiant and pure, reliable, righteous, more desirable than gold and sweeter than honey. And then for each of these, he gives how it impacts us. It renews our life, makes us wise, makes our hearts glad, makes our eyes light up. It endures forever, warns us, and there is a reward in keeping them, right? He's saying that God is communicating uh, himself in a more intimate sense through the scriptures, and it impacts us. I want to point out that in verse 1, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. That word God in the Hebrew that's translated God means God in a general sense. Uh, It can be used in a bunch of different ways in the Hebrew language. But in this section, verses 7 through 11, Every time you see Lord in your English Bibles, you'll probably see that it's capital L-O-R-D. 
That's the translator's way of telling us that he's using the personal name of God, Yahweh. So what David is pointing out is that God has revealed himself in an intimate sense personally. We know his name, right, through the scriptures. So we see that general revelation uh, uh, tells us that there is a God, and special revelation reveals who God is, right? There's no words that are used in general revelation. It's just the nature of nature that declares God's glory. But here we actually have God's inspired words. But is this really God's word, right? That's the question I had. Which, which one, which God, which religion is right? That sort of thing. Is the Bible even reliable? And I think that there's good evidence to believe the Bible. There's a lot of different things I could say here, but one example is that the more we learn about archeology span and history, the more we confirm that the Bible is true. This has happened over and over throughout history. There's skeptics, there's scholars who say that the Bible got this event wrong, these people never existed, or they were never here, that person never existed, all of these things. And they say this for hundreds of years, and then lo and behold, we have a discovery. We find an artifact with an inscription on it or a, a manuscript, and it proves that the Bible was true all along. And so we have hundreds of years of books and lectures and articles written that are just thrown out, completely refuted because the Bible was true the whole time. This has happened multiple times. Norman Geisler, who was a Christian uh, um, theologian, a professor, and an apologist, he says that while many have doubted the accuracy of the Bible, time and continued research have consistently demonstrated that the Word of God is better informed than its critics. In fact, while thousands of finds from the ancient world support in broad and often in detail the biblical picture, not one incontrovertible find has ever contradicted the Bible. He's saying that we have thousands of finds that actually confirm the scriptures, confirm the scriptural account in broad outline and even in its details. But we have never once had an undeniable find that contradicts the scriptures. And I believe that there's no other religious text that even compares to the reliability of the scriptures. So there is good reason, this is just one, but there is a good reason to think that uh, God has inspired the very scriptures we hold in our hands today. Now, that means that the same God who created the universe, whose glory is declared by the universe, inspired the books of the Bible to further communicate who he is, what he has done, what he is doing, and what he will do. And if that's true, just think about how precious of a gift that is, right? We're talking about the God who created the universe, the whole universe, all-powerful and glorious. He inspired these words that we hold in our hands to communicate himself in an intimate sense with us, right? This is his message to us, and we have access to that. That is incredible. It is an incredible gift. And through preparing for today, I was meditating on this fact, and uh, it came to my mind that uh, we live in a time and a place where we have more access to biblical resources and translations of the Bible in our language than any person in history, right? We have more access to God's words than any person in history. We have an abundant access to God's word. Even on your phone, you can download an app 
for free that has many different translations in English, all different uh, uh, reading levels for whatever you want. And you can even have your phone read it to you, right? It's that easy. And it's there all day, every day. But in spite of all that, how often do we take it for granted? I mean, I think of my own life and how many days that I go and I just, I'm too busy to spend any time in the Bible, right? And when I think about the nature of Scripture, the fact that the God who created the universe inspired these words, and I have so much access to them, it's so easy to read them, it's actually humiliating to me to think that I can't find time to spend any uh, amount of time in a day reading the scriptures. So I just want to remind us that there's an, of the abundant blessing that we have with our free access to the Bible, the very inspired words of God. And I want to urge us to recognize how precious of a gift it is and to encourage us to not take it for granted. You know, realize the blessing that we are given here and take full advantage of it because you have the very words of God. You're holding it in your hands. It's incredible. Now, at the end of this psalm, uh, David kind of, he shifts to how um, he is impacted by thinking about how God's uh, revealed himself in creation and through scripture, and it leads him to self-examination. So in verse 12, he says, who perceives his unintentional sins? Cleanse me from my hidden faults. Moreover, keep your servant from willful sins. Do not let them rule me. Then I will be blameless and cleansed from blatant rebellion. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So a recognition of who God is communicated through creation and through scripture should lead us like it did for David to humbly examine ourselves. Right? David's thinking about his sin, his imperfections. He says, who perceives his unintentional sins? This is a rhetorical question. Like we don't even know... Um, all of the sins that we are committing, right? There's things that we don't even know that are wrong that we do. And then he's saying, he's asking God to cleanse him from that. And he's saying that uh, even more, keep your servant from willful sins, the things that we know are wrong, but we do anyway. He doesn't want, he wants God's help in not letting them rule him, right? Because he wants to be blameless and cleansed from blatant rebellion. And I think this is every Christian's prayer that we just want to be rid of the sin that's all around us, the sin in this broken world, the sin in our own life, the, the sin that hurts us, that hurts the people around us, all of this. We want to transcend it. We want to leave it behind us, and we want to move on, be cleansed from this blatant rebellion, like he says. And David ends with verse 14, which is one of the first verses I memorized. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. David uh, wants the words of his mouth, everything that he says day in and day out, the meditation of his heart, what, he is, what his heart is focused on, what is, his mind is pointed towards all day. He wants all of him to be acceptable to God, right? And this is a response on how God has revealed himself through creation and through scripture. It leads him to reverence God. It leads him to recognize that he is his rock and his redeemer, and he wants to live a life that is acceptable to him. 
So David gives us an example to follow in reverence of God, putting him in his proper place in our lives. We should want our lives to be conformed to what God wants for us and not for God to be conformed to what we want. And I think this is a, a proper a heart posture, a reaction to have after looking at how God has revealed his glory in creation and his instruction in the scriptures. So to remind us, my main point that I wanted to make was that God has sufficiently revealed himself through creation and through scripture to point us to life in Christ. So we've talked about the first two parts of that, how he's revealed himself in creation and scripture, but how does this psalm point us to a life in Christ? If you look back at verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. John 1, verses 1 through 3, John, speaking of Jesus, says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. You see, the creation that declares God's glory, everything, this beauty that we see around us, all of this was made through Jesus himself. He was God. He was with God in the beginning, and everything was created through him. So a denial of God in creation is actually a denial of Jesus and what he has done. And what about Scripture? In John 5:39, uh, Jesus is speaking to Jews that don't, don't believe in him, and he's saying, you pour over the Scriptures because you think that you have eternal life in them, and yet they testify about me. Jesus is saying that all of the scriptures, he's referring to the Old Testament here, but it applies to the New as well. All of the scriptures testify about Jesus, right? Jesus is the main point of the Bible. Everything points to him. And so a denial or neglect of the scriptures is actually a denial or neglect of Christ himself because the scriptures point us to Christ. The scriptures testify about Christ. And in verse 13, David says, then I will be blameless and cleansed from blatant rebellion. This is is a little bit of a problem for David, right? Because he wasn't perfect. He has some blame due to him, right? And this is problematic for all of us because none of us are perfect. We all have some blame due to us. We've all done something wrong, hurt someone. um, And especially if you uh, compare yourself to God. God is a perfect being. He is the standard of perfection. And we all fall short of that, right? But I want to tell you that there is a way to be blameless in God's eyes. And that is through putting your faith in the only one who was blameless. That is Jesus Christ. He was God in the flesh. The Word made flesh. He lived a perfect life. And he sacrificed himself on the cross as a payment for all of our sins. All the blame that is due to us, he took on himself. And then he rose again, proving that he was victorious over sin, Satan, and death. And now it's by grace through faith that in Christ alone that we are covered in his perfection and we have the promise of eternal life. You see, when we have faith in Christ, God sees us as blameless because we're covered in the blamelessness of Jesus himself. Charles Spurgeon put it this way, you stand before God as if you were Christ because Christ stood before God as if he were you. 
So if you're in this room today and you don't believe in Jesus or you don't know what I'm talking about but you want to know more, please come and find me after the service. I would love to talk to you more about this. And David ends with, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Jesus is our rock. Jesus is the foundation of our faith. He is the firm foundation that we stand on because our eternal life is all dependent on him and his perfection. He is who we rely on. And Jesus is the redeemer because there's only in him is there redemption to be found. So Jesus is our foundation and he is our salvation. He is our rock and he is our redeemer. So this whole psalm points us to have life in Jesus Christ. And as the band comes up, I have three gospel responses for us today. The first one is to spend time in nature. Uh, You don't have to go on a long hike, just walk outside, take a moment, look up at the sky. If it's nighttime, look at the stars, take a deep uh, breath of fresh air, and give glory to God because he was the one who created it. His glory is revealed through what you are looking at, right? So let the creation point you to the creator. The second gospel response I have is to spend time in scripture. And before you start reading, remind yourself that the words that you're about to read are inspired by the very creator of the universe. He wants to tell you about himself, how he loves you, how he desires a relationship with you, what he has done, what he is doing, what he will do, and most of all, how there is life to be found in Jesus Christ. And the third gospel response is to spend time in self-reflection. Let how God has revealed himself in creation, his glory through creation, and his instructions that you find in the scripture, let them impact your life. Let them lead you to have a reverence for God like David did and to uh, want your life to be acceptable and conform to what he wants for you. Let them lead you to a reverence for God like David had when he uh, prayed, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's end in prayer. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for uh, this wonderful creation that you've blessed us with, Lord. It truly declares your glory. Open our eyes to see it. Father, thank you for uh, your scriptures, for your word, for inspiring it. It it guides our life, Lord. It, it, It brings brightness to our eyes. It rejuvenates us. It tells us where we can find life in you and in Jesus, Lord. Thank you. It is an incredible blessing to have this much access to the scriptures. Please lead us in a place, to a place of not taking it for granted. And Father, I thank you for your son and for uh, his sacrifice. For him being the way that we can all be blameless in your eyes because he was blameless for us. So Lord, please move in our hearts to humble ourselves and reverence you the way you deserve to be, wanting our lives to be acceptable to you, Lord. I lift all this up in Jesus' holy name. Amen.
Thank you, worship team. Thank you, Nick. Great message. Uh, as Matt always drives us to be thinking about, go into the midst of darkness and light it up. Have a great day. We love you all. You have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more about following after Jesus, uh, please contact us and we would love to talk more about your relationship with Christ and how you can grow in your spiritual journey.